So you know how like in high school when you had to like draw a circle and then you had to draw this one little dot outside of the circle and draw like a two two triangles to meet in that dot over there? Louie, what are you talking about? Hey guys, you're listening to Musical Tangents, where we talk about anything and everything, and music. Stay Stay tuned. tuned. You, since you kind of mentioned about your break being involved in like going to museums, seeing American artists, Mm -hmm. I did want to talk about a little bit about of american composers okay because i i really like um gershwin Mm -hmm. gershwin's music has always been one of my favorites and um like rhapsody in blue is kind of staple of his compositions yeah but i like his like uh uh what is it because he wrote a lot of songs i think he was a very gifted songwriter which I have a funny story about Gershwin and Ravel, but um, that can be talked about later. Um, okay. So oh, I'm interested, though. So, well, okay. So let me just let me just talk about that first. Okay. Okay. So it's a it's a very short story. So Gershwin wanted to study with Ravel. Okay. Because uh, Gershwin, I don't think ever attended any conservatories, so he never mm-hmm. studied music formally, right? Therefore, he wanted to study music under Ravel. So he saw Ravel. He met with Ravel. And Ravel, on the other hand, also wanted to learn jazz from Gershwin. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, they met. Mm. Because, you know, if you listen to Ravel's, like, piano concerto in G major, the famous one, if you listen to that, there's a lot of jazz influence. Um, That's just interesting because he's also known a lot for his, like, neoclassism. Yes, yeah, um, works. I guess it depends on like what stage in his life. I yeah, mean, I don't know. I mean, I you're not he, constricted to one form either. I agree. So. so he he had like those two different ideas or neoclassical ideas where he really liked Capron, Rameau, all of those Baroque era composers almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so he wanted to study Gershwin's kind of jazz style. Gershwin wanted to study French music, so Ravel. But I think Ravel told Gershwin, you shouldn't learn composition from me because you're going to be second-rated Ravel instead of first-rated Gershwin. So his idea was, you keep doing what you do well and make that your signature Instead of learning from me and getting my style influenced on him. So that was the story, which I thought was interesting because a lot of times in classical music, when you hear about American composers, they're modern musicians or they're considered Mm -hmm. modern, but they're in like 20th century. So if you listen to, well, except for one, there's one romantic composer, post-romantic, that's McDowell. And he's... Did I ever tell you some of his sonatas are like called Nordic sonata? They're called like all of these oh. different like Norwegian style. That's apparently because he loved Greek and he like um, 
attributed all of those pieces to Grieg. Oh, that's interesting. So. I'm not like super familiar with his repertoire, but yeah, McDowell is interesting because there's like a whole. They call it McDowell something, but it's like a, a, if you get a residency in that McDowell estate, mm-hmm. you're like you've made it as an American composer. So oh. my favorite thing about McDowell was the first time we talked about it. Yes, and you called him Macadol. <laughs> no, I said Mac Macdowell. I, I oh, had right. it wrong. I think that's because Koreans read it like as as Macdowell. Interesting. Yeah, instead of because I had no idea who you were I talking know, about. I know it was it was silly of me. I didn't look up the. It's, the no, it's fine. This, that, those things happen. Yeah, but I butcher some names too. I don't like doing that. But anyway, I'm not saying that. Uh, that you know, that's the worst mistake you can make. It's just it happens. But yeah, he's like the only American composer that was prominently known in the Romantic era, or at least that I can think of. Oh, okay. In the Romantic era, okay. not not after Romantic. Uh, Amy Beach. Was she American? Yeah. She just went to Ireland, but she was born in the States. Oh, wow. Yeah. But she's like huh, associated with like Irish composers because she went there and she <laughs> Ireland, like... Ireland, Ireland decided yeah. to own her. <laughs> and she dedicated a bunch of pieces to Ireland. Oh, um, I see. So, is she at least Irish? Uh, like, does I she have so. Irish I think, heritage? I think so. I'm not. I'd have to go back and check. But that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't. I I always thought Amy Beach was an Irish composer. Yeah, but, I think she moved there. I think she got married, and he had like, and then she was widowed, and he left her like a good um, sum of money to live off of. So she moved to Ireland and can I think she composed a little bit over there did a little bit of a European tour and then um I think she stayed in Ireland for the remainder of her life I think some I think may, that's how the story goes some may think um Dvorak is an American composer cuz you know he he was he was a uh, pro- He's prom- primarily known for his the sy- Ninth Symphony mm. the New World which you know he was, um, he was Czech, and, yeah. And you know he came here to study or not study. He I think he came here to to teach, and mm. you know he was teaching composition and he was listening to all of these great music and you know he combined that into a symphony. Yeah. But the reason why I say like prominently twentieth century is because I think there's a slight transition where musical world predominantly was German, French, Italian for the longest time. Yeah, so much of it. Predominantly. And then... Or at least that's what we talk about. Music was going on everywhere. I know, I know. But but like that's that's what's known in the mm -hmm. classical world. I mean, everybody knows who Beethoven is, but not everybody will know who Anton Rubinstein is, right? So like that kind of difference. Now, Russia did get involved in the... In the equation, as soon as Tchaikovsky and Glinka came out, um, um, I think they were kind of always there. I don't know. We just have this like because I've had to go through the college level music history, right? Whatever. It's just what we end up, what Western classical music ends up talking about the most. But 
there was still just be because we talk about it now doesn't necessarily mean it was famous then. Oh, oh yeah. Or yeah. like what was super popular then might not be what we talk about now. I mean, Schubert was pr- practically unknown in his time. Yeah. And and he died at 20, 31. <laughs> not yeah. 21, 31. So there's a lot of like different lenses to look. It get, it just gets complicated when you're when As you're looking at it. Any history does. Yeah. But well, and and the reason why I say popular I'm saying popular from our perspective. So just from us looking into the past. So, you know, we talk about Russian music. Russian literature primarily has a lot of piano pieces. There's a lot of great Russian (laughs) piano pieces. So, you know, Russian literature, like with Tchaikovsky, Glinka, and then later on, Belakirev, Mussorgsky. Rachmaninoff came after Tchaikovsky, yeah. right? Prokofiev and Shostakovich. Mm-hmm. But around that time, I think the shift kind of became clear where, and oh, and English music. English music had some prominence uh, in uh, the Baroque era. Yeah, and then it really dipped off and they imported Haydn. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what they say in the music history classes. Yeah, and then. But American music, American classical music didn't become prominent until 19th century, I think. Yeah, I don't think, well, yes. There was, I don't know, there was a lot going on. It depends on how you look at it. Because other composers like like jazz and ragtime were really starting to become popular. We have composers well, like Well, that's why Scott I said Joplin. classical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, classical musicians like to say Scott Joplin was classical, but... Eh. I don't think he was writing in the same genre, but his pieces require the same virtuosity. Oh, that's true. I mean, you could compare, like, Joplin was composing pieces... In his own maybe nationalistic, I wouldn't maybe say nationalistic, but what I'm trying to compare is like Chopin was writing mazurkas in the Polish way. Mm-hmm. Joplin was writing his pieces in his own ragtime jazzy. I, I wouldn't consider it jazz, but ragtime well, genre. I, mean, I guess that. But that they're kind both. Started the, I think the pieces can stand for themselves. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, but I, I think what a lot of people would consider classical music. I don't know. I, I just noticed like there's a more modern composers in America than yeah. a lot of other places. Well the country's not too old. I so uh, that, that, that yeah. I think that has a big part to do with it. Oh that has a huge part to do with it. Yeah. yeah. But like one of the composers that you and I were talking about a moment ago was Charles Ives. Now yeah. I have no idea I do remember there was one person in particular that I used to know. He hated Charles Ives as a composer. I can I can see that. Charles Ives, I think you would like him. He's he's really interesting. Okay. So some regard him as the first like prominent American composer. Okay. But he when he was younger, he got formal training through churches by like 14 he was like the organist for the church that he went to i think he went to yale and studied some but 
he actually he sold insurance and he was like a he was a millionaire. Oh. <laughs> so he was also a businessman. Oh. And so when he was composing, he didn't need to make money off of it. Essentially, so he, he wasn't surviving. He wrote whatever he wanted and mm. was kind of like, forget it. Like, I don't care if you like it or not. Like, I don't need your money, <laughs> essentially. So he wrote a lot of like modern music. I don't know if he necessarily wrote 12-tone music, but a lot of just music oh, with a tonality, a lot of dissonance. Um, like a popular piece of his is called like Unanswered Questions, which I really like. Uh, he uses a lot of um, polytonality. Mm-hmm. So he's writing like the instrumentation in different keys and different things. So I think he's really interesting, but... One one thing I think like I saw a quote of his where he was like talking to his publisher and he's like he's like I know there's wrong notes in there but I want you to copy it exactly how I wrote it down. Interesting. So like he put things in there or like I was looking at some of his scores and like there's chords with more than 10 notes in them. You only have yeah. 10 fingers. Uh-huh. So he was just kind of writing whatever he felt like and there's recordings of him too playing his own music and it sounds a lot like just smack 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 yeah. on the on the piano and there was even like his neighbors would have complaints about him practicing they called it like residential disturbance or something but he was really cool and i i mean the music he wrote is very dissonant it's very modern but i think it's interesting he wrote um i think it's called like the concord mass yes um and I like the Al- the Alcott's. I don't I don't remember how many pieces there are in that suite, but uh, the Alcott's is one of them, and it's really cute. And I was listening to it, and since I've traveled to Massachusetts multiple times to see family up there, I was like, you know what? This like the, it it's it is the vibe of Massachusetts, like in some way, even though it doesn't fit our traditional terms of like how we listen and usually feel music because Mm. of just the way it's composed. But I was like, you know, this like, it does kind of sound like how Massachusetts feels. It was interesting. So that's actually something that I've heard from different people is that the region Mm -hmm. changes the sound. So I remember doing an interview with, uh, with, a. With a composer, and he works in the states, but he's originally from England. Mm-hmm. And he said, "There's something about English music that's that feels small and tight." He said, "What did he say?" He compared it to something. He he said, "So like the way you listen to music, even though there's." a lot more standardized items, I guess, or standardized elements in classical music, you can't, there are still going to be some cultural feels that comes out. I mean, the obvious one, of course, is like list with Hungarian feels. Chopin with Polish, like you said. Mm -hmm. But his example was, if you listen to Purcell versus Bach, I mean... There's a stylistic difference, but that's not just stylistic differences. That's a cultural sound differences. Yeah, and you could definitely see that 
really rise in 20th century music because like nations were starting to form and so they felt like some type of well, identity they would hold on to the conflicts their, were happening yeah too. <laughs> that too but they would hold on to that's when like kind of the rise of like recording folk music mm-hmm. started to appear and i think uh bartok Yes. Did a lot of like ethnomusicology. Yep. Yeah, did a lot of pulling from folk music into mm-hmm. his pieces that he was composing. Do you like 20th century composers? I like learning about them. I don't necessarily listen to their music in my free time. Mm-hmm. I listen to them for my academic purposes. It depends. It depends on the piece. There are some like modern. 20th century modern composers that I like. Like, I really like Stravinsky. Mm-hmm. Not the biggest fan of Schoenberg. I don't think I've ever met someone who was a big fan of Schoenberg. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Unless you're Glenn Gould. <laughs> There's a recording of him. Yeah. Who, he who, would say yeah. that. <laughs> he would. Well, he actually, he won. I think he composed a few pieces. Mm-hmm. And his pieces are very much 12-tone technique mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, I think his recordings of Bach is good, but I just, uh, yeah. He's an interesting guy. I think it's interesting, though, that a lot of people and a lot of symphony orchestras now, they like, it has become a standard where their title will say something like Beethoven Ninth, right? They do Beethoven Ninth, but before they start Beethoven Ninth, the introduction piece is always short modern piece written for orchestra. Yeah. And I always found it kind of interesting because it's a it's an interesting mix in that like you usually wouldn't put on a playlist that would go like short modern piece and then some standard classical or romantic repertoire piece. But like that has become kind of the standard for orchestral performances. Yeah, and I just don't know why they feel the need to do that. Okay, so what I oh, mean I by have, that is... I have a theory that, like, people will come to see Beethoven 9, but if right. you just said that you were going to play, I don't know, some a, a composer that's maybe not super known, maybe they're alive today and they're composing, but to get them to maybe, like, expose, get some exposure for that music, they're like, we're advertising it as this, but we're also going to play this. And then you can hear it and determine for yourself if you like it. But then we'll get on to the part that you came for. But there's definitely a stylistic choice in modern composition, isn't there? Yeah. And I don't know if I necessarily sonically like it. So, like, Mm -hmm. what I mean is, you're right, I like Stravinsky. But I like Stravinsky because Stravinsky didn't sound like Schomburg. Right. Yeah. And Shostakovich, I don't know. A lot of people actually Shostakovich is not on a lot of people's like top 10 list. I really like Shostakovich. I always adored Shostakovich Mm -hmm. partially because he, you know, depending on the circumstances and depending on who you talk to, he rather lived a very anxious time, you know. And uh, he, his music, while it sounds 20th century, it doesn't feel 20th century, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that's the good balance for me, is that I don't want people to write music just to prove a point. You know, like, Mm -hmm. that's how I feel about Schomburg. Well, I mean, he even has the quote where he's like, 
music has no meaning. It's just organizing the notes. Yeah. And I don't know how I feel when, about that. When I first heard that, it made me mad. Like I was actually kind of mad. I was like, how could you say that? As uh, a composer. Yeah. Like all like it, cause it was in like a music history classroom and at college. And I was like, how could you say that? I was like, well, then why are we all here? I was like, why, why would I be studying this if I didn't feel any meaning towards it? It's because my professor made a good point. He was like, I don't, I didn't really choose to go into music. I felt like I had to, Mm -hmm. like it was a calling that he just had to follow. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's definitely very interesting that, you know, but you know, there's also something to be said about composers trying different things. So. American composers are not really in the standard classical repertoire. Uh, but if you listen to, for example, Copeland, who's written you know, a famous ballet piece called Appalachian Spring, some of you might know some of his other like miniature piano pieces. Like there's a call there's a piece called Cat and the Mouse that he wrote yeah. when he was a teenager. Apparently, I think he submitted it because uh, I think he studied in France. So he like submitted that piece as an audition mm-hmm. piece and that was essentially something that he used for a lot of attention and things like that which is a fun piece it's a fun sounding piece mm-hmm. but you know he tried different things he like had um he had a he has a piano sonata that was written around like 1950s that sounds like 12 tone technique but then he has a his own piano concerto there's a video of him actually playing his piano concerto with Bernstein conducting. Yeah. But if you listen to that, it's very distinctly jazz. It's him emulating jazz. It's not really jazz style per se. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of times I think because America was, even back then, trying to become this cultural hodgepodge that that it's become nowadays – they were trying they had a lot more tools to choose from yeah and they had a lot more to essentially try from and i think mm-hmm. but i mean i think that oh go ahead well i mean i think there's there are pros and cons yeah but i think you can also look back at like people have been doing that for a long time when you look at mozart oh, yes yeah how he he was traveling around at such a young age and was pulling aspects from all of the different music he heard around yeah. Europe and then would mix even like not even just write one song in this style that he heard, but mix those styles all mm-hmm. into one cohesive piece. But I think I think another benefit that America had that Mozart or all of these composers mm-hmm. didn't, I think could have been the invention of recording. Yeah, that had a huge Because influence. America was at the forefront of that technology where, you know, like I don't know. I I remember watching like I was wondering if there's any recording of Tchaikovsky ever because, you know, he he passed away before 1900s. Yeah. So there is one recording. It's not him playing piano. There's no recording of him playing piano. Yeah. But there's a recording of him having a conversation with a pianist and a singer of, you know, they're performing or rehearsing his songs and his voice is recorded. But it's I have who not made heard this. who made that recording possible? Thomas Edison. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, maybe not directly yeah. him, but you know, he was the one who was 
We all know what happened with Thomas Edison <laughs> at this point. But, you know, like, so, you know, it's like American people were inventing these technology uh, that made of that were made available to the musicians around that time. So, you know, you have a recording of Rachmaninoff playing some of the pieces. Yeah. So his own or some Chopin. He was a fantastic piano player. Um, and, you know, of course, Gershwin playing and, you know, Charles mm-hmm. Ives. I just think maybe that economic, because, you know, it does tie into like power eventually. Yeah. I think that's why they were able to make ways into the world of music like they did, Mm -hmm. you know. But I wonder if American musicians would have, or American composers specifically in within that specific style of classical music i wonder if they would have made their names if if it were not their recording technology you know that's a good question yeah because i mean the i the i the concepts of like the recital hall and performance hall was it was just different in the u.s yes they just they just weren't as well established so i mean that's a good question to pose so like is prevalence just the reason why because you know they made it prevalent like do you think do you think that maybe had a play in american composers you know like maybe if we didn't have recording technology copeland might not have been copeland that he is for example like would maybe. that be possible but I at the same so. time i think at that time you could still make a name for yourself without having to record yeah. something and they were also i did like a little i read like a little book about this and they were also obsessed with recording old music like i think they i think i i feel like i read somewhere that they made sure that it was either the cd or something could hold 90 minutes worth of music mm-hmm. solely for the purpose that it could record all of beethoven 9 yes i've heard that i've heard that before like they wanted to like because like Nate, then like the name was like Beethoven. They were like, we have to, you know, these are, these are so important to them. And they were like, we have to be able to record these. So Beethoven I, pieces are long. Yeah. So or yeah. symphonies. Yeah. Symphonies are longer. But I, I don't know. That time is, I find that like that early 20th century, such an interesting time in classical music, because I feel like everyone was veering off into a million different directions, but they were all under this luminous chokehold of the greats. Like they were all so like we like we're never gonna be Beethoven. We're never gonna be Wagner. We're never gonna we're never gonna create something so big and important that they created. And they had this looming over them. Well they were I mean people people are always sentiment about the past. After yeah, but the past has has in that time they were really f- feeling it and like i i read a few things where they were like expressing that like we know we're never going to create this or whatever yeah yeah and that's kind of why they veered off into things of atonality and 12th tone because they just didn't want that that pressure oh i see what you're saying so do mm-hmm. you think atonality movement when uh was essentially happening because they felt like so it's not because tonal possibilities have run out 
they didn't feel that mm-hmm. way. It's some, just, some of them did feel I that mean, way. I mean, yeah, but like it's more more or less to do with composers feeling like if I write tonal music, it's not going to be as good as Beethoven's. Essentially. Ah, that's an... In- okay, that actually changes a lot of narratives that, I, that I've heard in the past. Because mm-hmm. I always have heard about people saying that well you know after beethoven there's there was no tonal capacity well and like in the austro-german culture too not that i wagner wrote amazing music i do not like him as a person he was a horrible person but it was definitely interesting yeah yeah um but for the purpose of like just talking about this like in the austro-german world like beethoven and wagner were it yeah they were like yeah they were like almost like seen as like gods well, in the music world. That was Brahms. Yeah, but those two specifically, I mean, the ring cycle was such a huge work. Like who's gonna write something that big? And <laughs> like how do you Four and a half how do you match long. up to and and then there's five operas. It's not just one, it's five. Yeah, and each opera is like, like four hours. Yeah, so it's like they just felt that like big presence looming over them that's interesting that you say that because i think that the the whole german school of music was actually yeah you're right divided into the the conservative with the small c side and the and the and the progressive side which was mm-hmm. you know on one hand you got list of wagner and on the other hand you had schumann and brahms mm-hmm. which I find that interesting because Schumann, I always thought was progressive. I don't, I would not put Schumann and Brahms in the same category because Schumann was still writing programmatic music in some ways, but Brahms is like not, he was not vibing with it at all. He was very traditionalist. Yeah. Yeah. He was, you know, and I think it, it, it's better for the audience always better for the audience yes. that the that the people are you know the artists are always having these conflicts well not like physical conflicts yeah. but you know like ide- ideal conflicts where they're coming out with different ideas and they're always saying that oh no that i couldn't possibly do what the other person is doing but you know like that means more music for the audience members. So, you know, I, I have no complaints about that. And I think that's one of the reasons why. But going back to that idea of like Beethoven lumineering over top of them, mm-hmm. uh, I think that you can easily argue that that's still the case today's in today's music. So like not with Beethoven, but I remember people being like, you know, Oh, you know, Taylor Swift's tour was not like as prominent as Michael Jackson. And maybe that is true to a certain extent. But I think there has to be a proper appreciation, not over appreciation, but a proper appreciation towards the idea that at least she's trying to produce all of these concerts and performances without worrying about if they're going to, you know, say, Oh, you know, she will never be Michael Jackson. She will never be. But well, she's not trying to be either of those. No, I know that, but like, I'm, I'm just saying that as an example. Like people looking back in the yeah. past and bringing those past artists yeah. essentially to the standard. I mean, I've seen more people compare it in like 
not that they're comparing the two artists with each other, but comparing like, is she as popular as Michael Jackson was? Like, do yes. people around the world know her name like they knew Michael Jackson's name in the 80s? And honestly, I would argue, yes, that she is as popular. I'm not comparing their music together, but just in the fact that like, that. if you went to some random town somewhere and you said Taylor Swift's name, people would know who she was. I think it depends on where you go. <laughs> but I'm going to disagree with that. I, I I'm going to respectfully huge. disagree with okay. that. I mean, okay. Well, and and part of it is because I think Taylor Swift has to do world tour now. She is doing a world tour. Is she? I think so. She was in Tokyo before the Super Bowl. Oh, I don't remember. And that. she was in Brazil like a few weeks ago. Well, I just I'm just saying that because <laughs> in Korea it's like they like know who Taylor Swift is, but none of yeah. them know her music or anything like that. On mm-hmm. the other hand, Michael Jackson was huge because I think Michael Jackson liked Korea. So he mm. visited there like three times in his world tour and things like that. Mm. So that's why I said like Taylor should go to Korea as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe she's not as worldwide as I think. I mean, in the States, she's a phenomenon. I, okay. But also, let's think about this. How old is she? Is she in her 30s now? I don't remember. She's young. She yeah. still has many years to come. So yeah. she will have opportunities to become that big. And and quite frankly, again, I've said this multiple times. I think I like her songs. You know, like Car- I'm not- Cardigan. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Oh, oh my God. Not Cardigan. What's that album? Folklore. Fol- yeah. I, like I folklore. still listen to Folklore at times because I'm like, this is just this just feels right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a Swifty, but I'm not like someone who's like against Taylor Swift. I would say I'm just indifferent. I think I'm like, I'm like, okay, good, good for her, I guess. I think a lot of people who don't like Taylor Swift is probably because of the followers that she has. Yeah, I guess some I think they can be overwhelming. Yeah. Religion. Like Gandhi said, I I don't mind Christ. I just, just mind Christians. (laughs) I think Gandhi said something yeah. like that. It's it's almost like that. It's like I don't I don't mind Taylor Swift's music, but I don't like Taylor Taylor Swift followers or avid fans and things yeah. like that. And I was like, they yeah, that's fair, but you know that I I think there needs to be a division between the artist and the artist follower. The way you treat the artist should not be determined by how the yeah artist followers are because you know that's just unfair to the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I I think that's true not just to classical music, but just in music in general. Because you know, people, I'm gonna say this very carefully. I mean, people want to say that they're up to the trend, but trend is usually two to three years slower in today's time. So, like, if the music that was popular in 2021. Or 2022, that still remains to be popular in 2024, right? So, but when it first comes out, I don't think everyone is going to automatically know what that music is until they've listened to it a couple times. But for them to listen to it a couple times, the radio station has to play it five different times so that you know people people listen to it two different occasions. So, oh my god, do you remember? Oh my god, do you remember like? before like Spotify and you had to listen to the radio. I remember like 
going to the mall with my sister one day. We got to the mall and some song, I don't remember what song was playing. We go into the mall for a few hours and we come out, we turn the radio back on and that same song is playing. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, I can't escape it. I can't. I think that's another flaw. In a way, yeah. like, but well, that was not that would have been like an iHeart radio station versus like a local station. With yeah, a local that's DJ. what I was going to say. Is that I really feel like radio's a thing of a past as well. I think it's, that I would like because I work at one. I would like to say it's coming back. <laughs> I know. I, I I think it should. I, I'm with you on that. But there I are avid to, listeners, and but it is I fun. have to say that it's not like. It's not the main form of media that people are going to just consume for a long time. I mean, you know, ever since television came out, everyone wants to watch things, Mm -hmm. you know. But I think radio station played a huge part in in making music famous or well-known. Like, for example, I don't know, um, even Gershwin's music. I mean, that was played in the radio and -hmm. everyone knew because of that. Um, uh, who else? I'm think like any recordings that Bernstein made was being played in the radio, or you know, and and, still are on the classical stage. Yeah, so, um, but I think that's where I think we have changed our ways of consuming music, and I think that has a lot to do with it as well. But yeah, I I I think modern music is okay. But there's definitely okay. well, yeah. No, I'm just, I think there funny. are some mus- some composers that I definitely prefer. If mm-hmm. you since you didn't know who it was, I really encourage you to listen to Barber. Barber's an interesting okay. composer. Um, he's he's actually 20th century, so like he was born in like 1903. Okay, so he's like he's probably one of the great great american composers or at least like i think he is considered to be because mm-hmm. he wrote concerti and things like that where you know a lot of classical musicians could play um but you know uh gershwin of course has to be one of them yeah um bernstein tried but he wrote west side story well not if in in traditional classical sense, I oh. don't think a lot of people accept him as a great American composer. But I, I agree. Know, I, I agree. I like, like Bernstein's music. Yeah. So I haven't really looked into like if he did. Speaking of Bernstein, did you watch Maestro? Not yet. I have to. I watched it and then I got tired and paused it and I was going to go back to it and I just haven't gone back to it. So I haven't finished the movie. But I have a lot of thoughts, I think. it's It just felt weird to watch it as a music student, because we talk about him all the time, like when when you're a music student, because he he is, you know, the first prominent American conductor. Yeah. So when you watch a movie about his personal life, it just feels weird because it doesn't necessarily feel like I know him, but I feel like just knowing a lot about his work. And then looking at his musical life, it just felt it felt weird watching it. Oh, really? Uh, I, to me, I guess it's because like I was I was reading his autobiography and things like that, mm, so I already I know his like. And and I have an unfair advantage is that yeah. uh, because 
I was a musical geek mm-hmm. and I knew Sondheim so well. Sondheim often talked about Bernstein and he would talk about Bernstein in front of people and Bernstein off the record. So, so according to Sondheim, Bernstein had this two persona where he becomes really, really fun to be around in, in, you know, in private, but he's really, according to Sondheim, he was like, he, he had to almost behave that he was an important figure. So mm-hmm. there was that egotistical that part of Bernstein that came out, which, again, people have argued about, like, oh, Bernstein having ego and blah, blah, blah. I was like, who cares? I, I just like his interpretations of music. But, yeah. you know, in his personal life, again, that's something that that he just had, I think. You know what it, it kind of felt like? It kind of felt like watching a documentary about your teacher. Like, you have that... When you're when you're in class, there's this line of like, I don't know that much about your personal life, and that's right. okay. Like that's how that's how I want it to be. I don't want to know necessarily about my professor's personal mm-hmm. life. But then I'm like watching a movie about my professor's very very personal life, and, and it you it feel just uncomfortable. it just felt weird watching it. I mean, I think it's a good movie. I think Bradley Cooper did a really good job, but it just felt weird watching. I feel like if I did not go to music school, I don't think it would have felt weird. But just because I've had to talk about him in class so much, it feels like I'm watching a movie about my professor or something. No, I mean, I can I can definitely, yeah, I can share that sentiment right there. But, you know, well, you know, I think, I think it's definitely interesting seeing, uh, a public figure that we only know from works mm-hmm. and hearing about their personal lives. That's, that's always interesting. I I'll admit that more often than not, I, I do read about a composer or a musician that yeah. I like, and I try to find out more about them. And it's, you know, it's, it, yeah. I can't help it. It's like, I'm drawn to the person. So, you know, I tried to do that and, you know, but I think, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's just interesting because yeah, sure. 20th century composers and modern musicians definitely have more exposure to the public and public can ac- access their information a lot more easily. So, you know, but well, you know, it was it's it's always fun talking about these. It is. I think talking about like 20th century composers is always really fun. There's more to talk just, about. There's, we just know more versus like, we know about Bach, but like, what do we really know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like several hundred years ago. So it's Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. But even Bach, if you think about it, he's not that old. No. it's And that's crazy to think about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So mm. it's, it's, gosh, there's so much more talk to talk about yeah. there. But... Well, it well was, come back next time. Maybe we'll talk about it again <laughs> some more. Well, yeah, we'll definitely do. So, all right, until next time. Bye.